And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the very Merry Christmas installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. It's going to be a very festive occasion, J.C. I'm, I'm donning the happy Festivus for the rest of us sweater today. Looking forward to uh, showcasing that on ESPN2 on Saturday during a basketball game. Why? Just because I want to wear a happy Festivus uh, sweater. And so who wouldn't want to do that this time of year in honor of Frank Costanza? You know, uh, I'm going to I'm going to make you blush a little bit here because we're going to every time we do this this time of year, it's a little bit unorthodox. Yes, we'll we'll cover the normal stuff that we do this time of year. The bowl games, big name transfers, um, just some coaching news, maybe grading some of the coaching hires. Saw a good article on that on one of the websites. But uh, we have at our disposal one of the best, and I don't just say that because uh, he is 50% of this podcast, uh, but one of the best recruiting minds and uh, most credible recruiting people over a long period of time on this podcast. The whole point of this podcast is not recruiting in general, so we don't always spend a, a whole lot of time on it. But National Signing Day Part 1, which is significantly more important than Part 2 nowadays, just took place. And, J.C., I'm going to allow you to flex your muscle <laughs> in the second part of this uh, podcast because I know a lot of people uh, want to hear your take on uh, the big picture and any any specific storylines from there. So look forward to getting to that later. I'm sure uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. All that took place yesterday. I'm sure yesterday was a day where you did not get a whole lot of rest or sleep or anything else. Uh, no, yeah, it was a, it was a long day. Started kind of before the sun came up, and um, you know, ended when the sun went down. And uh, it was an outstanding day. Uh, you know. I don't travel around the country anymore and, and look at players like I used to uh, during my you know ten plus years as a national recruiting guy, but I you know I really miss it you know and 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 I think I you know I still have a little sizzle and uh, a little left in the tank like Rocky <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, you know I was talking to some sources yesterday and uh, was just uh, really enthusiastic maybe for the first time in a couple of years about a signing day, I really followed it and went in and dug into the players, watched some film. So um, I feel more than prepared uh, to be able to talk about it. And I've got some surprising uh, takes and analysis that, uh, you know, maybe some other folks out there that cover it don't have. So it's always good to get a new, another perspective on this stuff and uh, looking forward to talking about it. Uh, just real quick before we get into the specifics on that, it's obviously here to stay. Do you like the earlier signing period? I, I do this cycle, and I'll tell you why. I, I think last cycle, um, you know, because you kind of plan in advance. You know, being covering recruiting or being involved with covering recruiting, it's a lot like covering politics, uh, and, and it's essentially the same thing uh, because you're working all year uh, to cover and analyze a decision or multiple decisions – thousands of decisions, just like, you know, voters make decisions that you ultimately have no control over. And then there's coaches and, and, you know, recruiting is a lot like campaigning, you know, 
So, so it, it, it's very similar when you build up to a day, signing day or election day, in terms of, of preparation on our side. You know, coaches aren't the only ones making preparation. The media does too. Last year, nobody knew what to expect in terms of, of how many of these guys would pull the trigger early. Uh, it was thought that it was going to be a very minor thing, you know, maybe six to ten per class. And, you know, the, the old regular signing day would still uh, – still take place in February. Well, then 80% of the prospects signed letters of intent. Um, and and the media, I don't think, were, were the only group that got caught with their pants down. Yeah, I think it kind of caught guys like Nick Saban from Alabama off guard. You know, Bama had a string of seven straight top recruiting classes. They finished seventh last year. And, and it was because I think they were kind of counting on guys not signing. And, you know, after they get done with the playoff, you can go try to flip them if you want them. Well, you can't flip them if they're signed. Uh, so the pool shrank. This cycle, Mike, uh, I think coaches, after, after going through it, w- what's happening is they're signing as many as they can early, okay? And then for January, February, they're revamping the board. Almost, it's almost like a new cycle. Who's out there? Who do we want? A lot of times when you're only dealing with four or five, six, seven slots left, it's best player available. So guys are emerging and getting new offers and getting more opportunity. Uh, and then that's what I love is, is when a player gets a, a great opportunity um, because he deserves it. And I think with the way the coaching staffs are handling it this cycle, uh, it's going to be a lot more exciting. There's going to be a lot more news, uh, a lot more fluidity with those few remaining spots per school. Um and, 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 you know, maybe a little more chaos as well. So I think that, uh, I, I think that, you know, whereas last cycle I was caught off guard and by the time February got there, I was like, well, this is just, you know, this isn't even fun. There's two guys left uh, for this school or one for that school. Um, and, and when there's one guy left, you can't really report on it because they turn their phone off. <laughs> um, and I think with this year, it, it, they've kind of found a happy medium and a new strategy in uh, any kind of like new strategy in recruiting is good because I get excited and enthusiastic about kind of seeing what happens. It's not predictable and same old, same old. Well, I think it's, I think it's certainly, it's added some juice to the month of December. There, there's no doubt about that. And from that standpoint, um, I like it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, finalizes. But like you said, most of the recruiting rankings are not going to change a whole lot because there's not a whole lot to change with so many of the top players already committing. We'll get knee deep into this past National Signing Day toward the tail end of the podcast. So for those of you that are waiting with bated breath for that, I promise we will get to that. Uh, I do want to go over some of the news of the week before we get there, harp on some of the bowl games and even more talk about playoff expansion that that talk is not going away. In fact, that really has dominated the conversation more so than any of these tier three bowl games. But but the, the other thing that's dominated the conversation, because it's not just a Georgia story, and that is the fact that Georgia quarterback Justin Fields, you may remember stud coming out of high school, a Georgia product goes to Athens, even though. Jake Fromm, as a true freshman, leads his team to the national championship game. Well, Justin Fields did not play a whole lot. Uh, the last time we saw him, he was part of that disastrous uh, fake punt that will fee- be remembered in 
Georgia SEC championship game folklore for a while. He's been visibly frustrated this season, and now there's talk that he might transfer. There's a lot to this story, JC. Obviously, anytime you have the number one overall prospect from last year's ESPN 300 transferring, that's a story in itself. Where he's going to transfer is a huge story in itself. Whether or not he has to sit out a year is yet another story in itself, and why he might get a waiver is yet another story. There's a lot of layers to this whole thing that has people nationally keying in on this story, whether they care about Georgia Bulldog football or not. Your overall impressions of how it's gone thus far. Well, it's Justin Fields uh, in the modern recruiting era, which probably started around the turn of the century. So we've got, we got about 18 years of data here. Uh, according to 24-7 Sports Composite uh, Rankings, he is the highest rated recruit ever to sign with the University of Georgia. And that's the last 20 years. I mean, Herschel Walker, they had rankings back then. My man would have been really high. <laughs> let's just let's just leave it at that. But you know, you talk about guys like AJ Green and Matt Stafford and Isaiah Crowell, who was a great player, and Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall, and, and all the greats that have played at Georgia. Um, rankings wise, the last you know sixteen, seventeen years, Fields is the highest rated one. He's an in-state kid. He's he's at the 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 most important position on the field. Uh, we've all seen how good Trevor Lawrence is this year. Fields was very comparable. It's amazing. Both those kids came out of the state of Georgia, um, gave him a run for his money, and was ranked number one by certain uh, recruiting networks as well, ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Um, so just an impressive prospect. Uh and I think Justin Fields knows that he's a very impressive prospect. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, I'm not one to ever talk about where I think a player should go. I, I always will list schools and say, this could be a good fit. Uh, this could be a good fit. I never say, you know, that's not a good fit. I mean, if you're walking into a situation at a program and you're a running back and they have five in front of you, I'm not going to be the one going, you're making a huge mistake because I think it's a life decision. It's a very personal decision. Um, and so I never say that. But, but you know, there's always questions when you kind of scratch your head. You know, Justin Fields was leaning to Penn State and Florida State for a lot of the process. And I was like, well, man, he could revolutionize uh, the offenses and start as a freshman at either one. You know, maybe not at Penn State with McSorley up there this year, but certainly in the near future. Um he would have been very, very good, and, and you could see him going kind of cutting his own path. Well, he ends up going to Georgia, uh, where you have had two true freshman quarterbacks in Kirby Smart's first two years starting, including one in Jake Fromm, who's pretty doggone good, who I was told by a source within the Georgia program uh, when Jacob Eason was all the rage that eventually Fromm would beat Eason out because of his intangibles. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Now, Eason is a Washington Husky. Eason, by the way, is the number five best prospect Georgia's ever signed in the modern recruiting era. Um, you know, so when you look at it, what were the chances that Kirby Smart was going to go, hey, man, let's just start a true freshman again this year at quarterback, barring injury. And, and you know, it wouldn't have happened last year had Eason not gotten hurt. Uh, I just don't think you do that. 
Um, so he was never going to start. Um, you know, and then you kind of look at their scheme. You know, Justin Fields is a passing quarterback. He's very talented, but he's also a guy that can get things done with his wheels. Um, you know, outside of DJ Shockley, over the years, Georgia hadn't really done much with guys like that. Uh, Jim Chaney, as an offensive coordinator who we've both sung praises to, is a great play caller. You know, his guys are passers. If you look at kind of his history, they're passing quarterbacks. I mean, I, I don't remember him, you know, Fromm will run some, uh, but, but there's just not, you know, for a guy with field skill set, there's probably better schemes to walk into. So that was my second question about it. The third thing is, and, and this is more societal and, and social media oriented and, and, and paying attention to what fans say on social media and the internet is that with the success Tua had, and every Georgia fan sat there and watched it in the championship game last year, um, and, and that basically saved the day for the Crimson Tide. They would not have won that football game had they not put him in the game. I think we can all say that. Yes. Okay? So you look at his success. Then you look at Clemson, and Kelly Bryant starts the first four games. All of a sudden, he's on the bench, and Trevor comes in. Keep in mind, Trevor is from this state. It's kind of Justin Fields' rival at, in the high school level. Um, and he lights it up against very bad competition, but he lights it up, okay? And he's impressive. You can't look at his arm talent and his decision-making and how he's handled the moment and, and say anything otherwise. So, you know, one doesn't make a trend. It kind of makes it popular, but two, sometimes – you know, you need three sometimes to get to a trend, but two, you know, we started talking about it. Is this going to continue to happen where you bench your quarterback because the young guy's better and you let him roll and you have a high level of success? Because previously, a true freshman quarterback uh, in the Power Five level of college football is rare, okay? And they struggle. Um, JT Daniel went to, high, went to college a year early out at Southern Cal, surrounded by a lot of talent, was the best they had, and they went five and seven. And, you know, there were times where he didn't look great. Um, and, and that's normal. You know, I, I think Tua and Trevor Lawrence, because of the situations they're in, are, are, the, are the exception, not the rule. So you have Justin Fields sitting there on the bench. And he gets into some games sometimes and they just hand the ball off. You know, and, you know, so there's the scheme thing and the philosophy thing, and then there's the fake punt thing. So, so on the field this year, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it had to be disappointing for him relative to his expectations and what he sees elsewhere with his peers. Okay. That doesn't mean he should have been playing. That doesn't mean he deserved to play. That doesn't mean he's better than Jake Fromm. It just means there were some expectations there for him most likely that were not met based on a number of factors. Okay. So, so that's another piece of it. Um, and, and, and so you, you add all that up and, and things are a little bit, you know, dicey and, and, and you look and Fromm will be back next year. You know, Fromm's probably an NFL guy, but he's the type of guy that could return for his senior year. So you're looking at three years on the bench and you, you are looking like being DJ Shockley, and just starting as a senior, 
And if you're Justin Fields and you, you think you have NFL talent, which he does, uh, you know, that that's that's a big issue. So the whole thing – and then you throw on the fact that, you know, Georgia lost a football game to LSU this year, and immediately the narrative turned. And, and this was not just Georgia fans. There's a lot of Georgia fans, but the media and everybody else – it's just a matter of time before Justin Fields gets in there. Okay? And, and I don't think that was fair to Jake Fromm. I don't think that was fair to Justin Fields. I don't think it's fair to Kirby Smart or anybody. Because, yes, Justin Fields is very talented. And he is going to be a great player. But none of us are in practice every day. None of the fans are in practice every day. None of them are seeing what's going on. Um and, and then you have that. It's an Atlanta kid. We all know from living here. It's, I mean, it's Kennesaw, so it's a little north, but uh, it's it's Atlanta. Uh, we all know that the Georgia rules the roost down here, even though there's a lot of representation from a lot of schools. Georgia is the big dog. Ooh, ooh. That's pressure. And, and, and you know, being the, the kind of the hometown hero, um, even though Kennesaw is far, from, probably about a couple hours from Athens, um, you know, there's some pressure and some expectation layered on top of that. So so that's my take. I, I just think that, you know, we always talk about fit. And, and I don't know that Justin Fields is a good fit at Georgia. Uh, they did flip a quarterback on yesterday from, I mean, that kid's committed to three different schools from Ohio State. So maybe maybe we're going to have trades now in, in college football. Um and uh, they they brought a walk on back to 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 go on scholarship and to kind of because their quarterback room was basically looking like a lonely place without Justin Fields. So you know, I I am not surprised that this talk is happening. Um, because I, I, I I didn't know that that he was making the right call to begin with. Uh, given the situation he was walking into. And it's not that Georgia's not a great situation. It's just that when you're a quarterback, because you can you can only play one at a time, Mike, you have to really dig in to what's in front of you yeah. and, 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 and understand that. Well, that, that's my point. That's where I would start. The, the time uh, as an 18, 19-year-old young man, I hate using the word kid, I know when I was 18, 19, I didn't want to be called a kid. I felt I could make pretty intelligent decisions at that age. Uh, Certainly one where if there's a bunch of schools out there that I can go play quarterback, and you hear me talk about this all the time, I've done enough games, not just at the SEC and ACC level and all the Power 5 schools. I've called enough Group 5 school games, even FCS games, where I've learned uh, because I, I, I call those games, and then I watch the NFL on Sunday, and I go, oh, wait a minute. I did one of his games at Southern Miss or Louisiana Tech or Kent State. And look at that. Now he's in the NFL. In other words, you no longer have to go to the same 10 schools to be elevated to the NFL status. You don't have to go to the same 10 schools to be a first round draft pick. You don't have to go to the, one of the same 10 schools to be on national television every week. You have now the ability to be seen. Cause let's face it. If you're in the ESPN 300, what is your ultimate goal? It, it's not to become a scientist. It's not to become an engineering major. 
It's to become a football player in the NFL. And you have to make an intelligent decision based on that. Going somewhere where the heir apparent just led his team to the national championship game, a place that Georgia hadn't been in since 1980 and had no reason to expect that he was going to drop off. And in the case of Jake Fromm, you mentioned the LSU game. Nobody for Georgia played well in the LSU game, including Jake Fromm. It was a poor performance. I've seen better quarterbacks than Jake Fromm have a bad game at LSU. Mm-hmm. So you had, if you're, if you're Justin Fields, even if you grew up a Georgia fan, if you're all about the NFL, which means you're all about playing right away, and you don't want to go to a place where you're going to throw 39 passes all year and in, in mop-up duty primarily, then go somewhere else. If that is your mentality where if I don't take over the starting job as a true freshman, then this is a bust, then it's a bad move, then I would tell you it was a bad move all along because there was no reason to believe that he was going to usurp Jake Fromm right away at Georgia. There just wasn't. It, it, it's it's not the same situation that it was at Clemson when you had Kelly Bryant, who's a senior, uh, and Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, there's a, a I was reading a, an NFL article. They were grading all of the bowl game quarterbacks, and even as a freshman, Trevor Lawrence, if they kind of drafted football players the way they do baseball players, where there was like a single A, double A, triple A, and you drafted a guy knowing he might not play right away or wasn't eligible right away. Trevor Lawrence would go number one against all, over all these guys. Justin Herbert, um, take your pick. You know, uh, Drew Locke, Jarrett Stidham, name your guy. Trevor Lawrence is a different cat, okay? Justin Fields is a tremendous player, but there was no reason to believe that he was automatically going to take over that job from Jake Fromm when Jake's in his sophomore year. So, I mean, somebody should have been in the head of Justin Fields and said, look, son, if this is what it's all about, where you just don't want to, you know, kind of be a protege and take a year to where you can learn and not play a whole lot, you shouldn't have gone to Georgia in the first place. I admire the confidence. I admire the what have you. And then you have a, a situation where video circulates. Uh, Zach Klein, who's a, a sports anchor here in Atlanta, he caught a, a game. I might, might have been in the Tennessee game. I can't remember. And he's videotaping. He's re- he's recording. Uh, Fields walking off the field and Fields basically is kind of saying, yeah, all I did was hand it off all day. I guess that's all I do. You know, look, dude, if that's, if you're that unhappy, you probably should have thought going somewhere else in the first place. But now that you've figured all that out, transferring is fine. What's interesting is I'm told from my Georgia sources, the kid is busting it in practice and that Kirby smart very well might use him in the sugar bowl against Texas. (laughs) So here it is. Everybody's trying to guess where he's going to transfer. He is practicing. He is going to play. There's a good chance he will play some in the Sugar Bowl. And then I guess he makes the decision on where he's going to go, which everybody seems to think it's Ohio State for various reasons. The the, the third part of this story, and I don't want to give this too, too much credence because it's not been verified, but there are some people trying to say that he is using an incident where or an attorney that might represent him is bringing up an incident. Same attorney, by the way, who represented the Ole Miss players that wound up transferring without a, without having to sit out. We're at a Georgia football game this year. A baseball player, which was subsequently kicked out of school, not just off the team, made a comment 
put him in instead of just saying him, he used the N-word. I, I seriously doubt Justin Fields heard that, but there's a report that obviously the report came out and he knows about it. Everybody knew about it when it, when it happened at the time that you could use that as kind of a mental distress uh, and anguish that allows you to get the waiver to go ahead and not sit out the year. You talked about Jacob Eason, who of course did sit out the year. We're getting to the point now where the NCAA has so many things on its plate. I just don't know if they're going to fight many more of these situations and if you're going to be that random and haphazard about it, I wonder if we even should have the rule in the place, uh, rule in place uh, overall. So there's a lot of different facets to this story from start to finish. Yeah, and, and on that note, you know, he, here's the thing. First of all, complete stupidity on the part of the baseball player. You know, I, I'm not one to judge somebody's heart, so I don't know if he's a racist person or not. Um, but that's just stupid. Don't do that. If you're going to drink that much, just, you know, make sure somebody's sitting there smacking you or telling you to put your filter on. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So that's number one. Um, number two, it wasn't so much that that happened. It was that it was highly sourced and documented. And that's the media these days. You know, they're they're the the racism police, I guess. And um, I think they're out to prove that, you know, a lot of people are racist, and, 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 you know, it was an unfortunate incident. I think it's a judgment call whether or not it's a high-profile news story. Um, but as far as the NCAA goes, you know, number one, they were a lot more liberal this offseason about approving transfers than at any point in history. Um, a lot of guys got waivers that you kind of looked at and went, well, I don't think they're going to get the waiver, but they did. Number two, because that's well-documented, if you're an attorney and that's the route you want to take for hardship, it's an open-and-shut deal with the NCAA. They're not going to sit there um, and question uh, you know, a minority quarterback mm-hmm. about feeling uncomfortable and facing a hardship when you've got a fellow student-athlete and it's on the record and highly documented – you know, yelling the N-word from the stands. Now, is that representative of, of the environment at the University of Georgia and the student body and all the great Bulldogs out there? Hell no. No. You know, let's not sit there and paint UGA as some racist place. But when it's, when it's about an individual and it's about stating your reasoning and getting the waiver – I, I just don't know if, you know, given the NCAA and, and given the, you know, today's climate and, you know, given the fact of, of who sits on those committees for the NCAA, uh, I think it's open and shut and he would get the waiver. I mean, I if, if he chooses to use it, use that, that would if be, he, you know, pretty easy. If he goes that route, he's going to win because the NCAA is not going to fight it. I no. think we both agree on that. Uh you know, he, he's got a sister that plays softball there. Um, I haven't heard any, anything negative uh, there. And like you said, to portray uh, a stadium of 90,000 plus people based on one guy's idiot uh, remark yeah. in, a, in a sea of <laughs> tens of thousands of people um, is kind of ridiculous to me. Uh, but that's that's just the nature of the beast. That's where it is. And. Again, you're seeing more and more, uh, to use your word, liberal uh, usage of the 
transfer waiver to the point where kids are going to find any way they can to circumvent the rule. Um, one way or another, I can, you know, I can find something that, that is going to put you in a, in a vulnerable situation where if you decline it, you're going to look like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's where the NCAA is right now. And they have got so many other things to fight. They've got so many lawsuits on their desk. And their image is so god-awful mm-hmm. that I just can't see them spending much time fighting hardly any of them. If you want to be creative enough and you've got, you know, you've got lawyers that will, that will kind of do the dirty work for you. Uh, if you want to go ahead and transfer. So I, I don't, I, I, I think that the bigger story to me is uh, it, we just had another, you know, national signing day. Um, as you mentioned, you can only play one quarterback at a time. It's not like being a lineman. It's not like being a linebacker. It's not like being a wide receiver where even if you're not quite as good as the other guy ahead of you, you can still get on the field. But if you're a quarterback, man, oh man, find a place where you can play and you don't have to beat a really good incumbent out. I mean, to me, that's just common sense. And sometimes I just wonder what these young men are thinking when they make that decision. The day and age, remember when Bobby Bowden was coach of Florida state in the heyday, you wouldn't start as a quarterback until you were a red shirt junior. I mean, that included Charlie Ward. That included a whole lot of guys that went on to great success in college and later on in the NFL, there were Heisman Trophy winners that didn't play at Florida State for a couple of years if you were the quarterback. That's not the reality anymore. These kids are so well prepared. They are so determined to play right off the bat. They don't want to sit on the bench for two, three years and wait their turn. So if that's the case, just go somewhere else. Just go somewhere else. And I promise you, once, the, once they've got tape on you, if you perform and you're good enough, you'll get drafted. They, they will not hold it against you if you didn't go to a Power 5 school or a Top 10 program. And here's the problem, too, with, with some of these guys just you know gravitating towards play, the places where the, the depth chart is stacked. Um, and and he, here's the problem for me, Mike, with the, the, the programs doing it. All right, let's look at Alabama. They recruit as well as anybody in the country. Okay? You got David Cornwell, Blake Barnett, Cooper Bateman – all Elite 11 guys, all signed with Bama at quarterback. Uh, Jalen Hurts comes in and beats them all out, and then they all leave. Okay? So, Tua comes in last year, and Bama, you know, if if Hurts and Tua both got hurt, which, you know, we've seen it happen, Alabama – that recruits as well as anybody in the country would not have had uh, an option at the most important position on the field. Um, And I think if you look at Alabama's recruiting and the quarterbacks that they've taken kind of in off years, they're sort of gearing it down a little bit. They're taking guys that are really good players, heady players uh, that maybe don't have the big star ratings or whatever, uh, they can come in there and, and be a backup and develop, and then then you, you you're not left with a situation. You know, like if if let's say Fields left before the bowl game, and let's say Fromm gets hurt in the Sugar Bowl, what in the heck would Georgia do? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the problem. You know, even Clemson, 
Um, and and they, they were smart and recruited a guy named Chase Bryce, who was good, who was actually a four-star guy who sort of understands his role on the team. Trevor Lawrence gets hurt against Syracuse after Kelly Bryant transfers. Um, and if it weren't for Chase Bryce, Clemson probably would be sitting on a loss and out of the playoff right now. Um, but that's smart because Clemson's had four quarterbacks transfer. I, I think that programs that recruit at a high level that are the popular programs that can go get anybody – because that's so important, I think you're going to start to see them, like I said, gear down. And, yeah, you can take the, the best player available, but if you take two hot shots that, you know, really are equal in talent and could both make a case for going out there and playing, and, and there's only a year of separation between them, you know, because it's different if you're, if you're a freshman going in this year, um, this cycle, and then next year in 2019, you're playing behind a senior. That's different. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see in kind of off every third, every third cycle, you're going to see the big boys go after the, their guy, and then they're going to make solid evaluations on the rest. In, in my opinion, I, I just don't see it uh, continuing like this because there's a lot of programs uh, that are going to get burnt, and Georgia and Bama, who have recruited as well as anybody, who have great players, you know, you can kind of see them on thin ice with this type of thing. Yeah, no doubt. By the way, DeAndre Francois, uh, earlier this week, there was strong rumors that he was ready to bolt, and he immediately got in front of that story and denied that was the case. So um, this is just kind of going to be – these are going to be stories we talk about every year in college football now. Uh, highly touted quarterbacks who – well, not in the case of Francois, he was playing, but, of course, Florida State's season was a dumpster fire. Uh, but But overall – highly tatted quarterbacks who are even un, either unhappy with where the program is or the coach, or they're just completely unhappy with playing time and they're throwing feelers out there and where to transfer to. That's going to be a story every year in college football. I might as well just uh, get used to that and, and see where it goes. I just hope it doesn't get to the level of almost like it's free agency where coaches are very opportunistic as we know. Uh, and if they sense that a kid is unhappy with playing time, it's one way or another phone calls, text messages, get to that young man. And it's basically a form of recruiting, uh, for a guy that's already signed and under scholarship with another school. But you know, that happens, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it goes on and I don't know how you're going to stop it. Cause most of the coaches are smart enough to find enough avenues on, on where and how to do that. Um, a couple other things I wanted to uh, to get to. We touched on this on the very end of the podcast. I just want to say this. I've never seen the talk this time of year be exclusively really about one thing, and it's not about any of the games going on the field or even about the games that are going to be played. It's all about how do we improve this playoff and how do we get it to eight. I would say it's about a 90-10 split in terms of fans that want to see it change. There were a couple of um, articles. Of course, we talked about the, the situation last week. I guess it was Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic who reported that guys like Bob Bowlesby, Barry Alvarez, uh, Gordon Gee, all saying it's time to start talking about an 18 playoff. You've got Jim Delaney, the Big Ten commissioner. When Jim Delaney starts saying let's expand, you know that we are in a different 
there's just a different vibe about this whole thing because Delaney was the kind of guy who never would have said that a couple of years ago. But the Big Ten gets shut out of the of the playoff two out of five years. The Big Twelve gets shut out of it, shut out of it two out of five. The Pac-12 has been shut out three out of five. Uh, we were very close to Georgia getting in, which would have knocked off yet another Power Five uh, conference from being in it. So th- this has become very real. Uh, and even there was a poll, Brett McMurphy reported there was a poll of the committee, the 11-person committee. Last year, all 11 said, no, unanimously, we want to stay at four teams. This year, three said yes, three were undecided, undecided only one said no, and four abstained. Nice job abstaining. Come on, if you're on the committee, have an opinion, will you? Um, I say all that to get to this. We're, we're going to have an 18 playoff, just a matter of when and how. And people get way too creative on the how. It's not going to be that complicated. There's no way we're going to an 18 playoff without all five power conferences being involved. Okay? There's just not. But the only thing to me that's left up to debate is whether or not you include the group five power, if you will, the UCF of the lot, uh, or you don't. That's it. It's going to be a first round on campus sites, right? And it's going to be the five conference champions. And we're not getting rid of conference championship games. No way, no how. The SEC will never do it. And even as bad as some of the other ones are played in half-empty stadiums, they're still making money. So I, I, I think it's it's pretty cut and dried. I don't think this is that complicated. I think you're looking at five conference champions, uh, two wild cards minimum, and either a third wild card or an automatic bid for the group five champ. Your thoughts? Not for the group five champ to be uh, included. Well, I know you don't like it, but do you think it could happen? I think it will because I think those conferences are are also in need of of dollars, and it's good for those conferences for their guys to have a chance. I think it's good for their programs to just sit there and go, all right, well, you – you can come to App State, and now we've got a shot at playing for the national championship. I'm not for that, though, because I think that it's, you know, you're going to get in a situation where, you know, an Appalachian state runs undefeated through the Sun Belt and has a uh, non conference schedule that maybe includes, you know, a lower level ACC team like a Wake or somebody, and they beat them. And, you know they're they're twelve and zero because going undefeated still matters, and they're the highest ranked group of five team. Um, and then they get in over uh, an SEC West school like LSU uh, that happens to finish the year ten and two behind, you know, really good Auburn and Alabama or whatever. And and who's more deserving at that point? Um, I just don't. I just think the group of five is a different division of football, and and throwing them a bone will likely happen. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think that collectively they are going to push for that and threaten a little bit on that. Um, so so we'll see what happens. I, you know, I'm not for – I mean, it's a long season as it is, I know. I am not in favor of doing away with the conference championship games, and I don't think you can if you're going to give automatic berths to the conference champion because I I just don't, you know, there's going to be situations where there's ties and stuff. There's unbalanced scheduling. Um, You know, how are you going to determine the, the, the four, you know, out of the 14 team SEC, 
Uh, if you've got a, uh, let's say you got Georgia in the East, and, and they play Arkansas and Ole Miss as their t- or Argon- they play Arkansas and let's say Auburn's down. And then you've got Alabama from the West, and and they play Tennessee. And let's say Tennessee's back to the good Tennessee and really good, and uh, from the East, and they play Florida, that's really good. Uh, and they drop one of those games, and then Georgia's two SEC West wins are over, you know, the sisters of the poor. And I'm using the divisional format for scheduling right now because if you do away with that, things are going to get really crazy. Um, because you do have certain schools that have permanent opponents that are rivalries, and then the other permanent opponents are, are things like Ole Miss and Vandy or Mississippi State and Kentucky. So, so it, it, it's just there's no fair way to determine it um, in the SEC and probably in the other divisions too or other leagues too, um, unless you go to round-robin scheduling, and you can't do that with a 14-team league. So – I don't. I'm not in favor of that, but I'm also not in favor. And, and, and Will Muschamp had a comment on this the other day, and it made sense. He said they'd probably go back to a ten game regular season, and I'm not in favor of that either. Um, and I don't know if, if if Will was correct in saying that or not, or, or even going back ten to or a, eleven. I wouldn't be in favor of going back. I mean, eleven maybe because it used to be eleven, and it makes sense. But I'm not in favor of that because that takes football away for you know 117 division one teams right right and 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 i don't think that's fair to the fans you know to kind of do that now i know there's bowl games and things like that um i think an easy way to do it is you go on campus sites the week of army navy the week of the army navy game uh you move some of these pre-christmas bowls to other dates, uh, and probably some need to be do, done away with, um, and and that's fine if if you want to. If not, you'll have to programming, um, and you know you go conference championship one week. The next week, if if you win, you're in, and you got a first rounder. Then do it just like you've been doing it. Have the New Year's Day bowls that are semis and the championship game, and that's you know you're talking about three you know four games over the course of December and January. Uh, there are exams during that time, but if you get it in that second weekend in December, you can kind of work around that um, and, and make it work. You know, the other option is is to start it uh, after Christmas and then move everything up the semis to the championship game date Uh, And then have a championship game the middle of January. Um, And and I think, you know, talking about recruiting, um, most coaches would have not gone for that because that's right in heavy recruiting time. But now with everybody signing early, is it really that much of an inconvenience? I don't know. I mean, you maybe have to adjust the recruiting calendar. But I'm just – I'm not in favor for taking away anything. I'm not in favor. I I know people – some people want to kill the Bulls. Um, and I'm not in favor of that. I think, if anything, they need to do away with some of the ironclad conference matchups in the bowls because I think sometimes those matchups get stagnant and they don't provide a variety of trips for the student-athlete. Um, but I'm not in favor of those going away. Bowl games are part of college football. And, uh, and I don't think they are because I think it's programming. 
But, you know, if you're going to do it, you need to make sure it's an addition and not something to where, you know, we're sitting there making the 18 playoff everything. Because it's going to be everything. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be everything. But there's enough, if you want to kill the sport and, and kill the passion and tradition that exists at certain places that have passion and tradition that, you know, maybe they're in a downward spiral like ten, or downward period like Tennessee or Nebraska or, or maybe Texas. Um, but, they're, you know, they're still looking forward to the season every year. You, you want to have the haves and have-nots and kill everybody else off? Uh, do away with the bowls and conference championship games and, and just have everybody focused on eight. Hell, you may as well go to 16 at that point. Whoa, um, and, whoa, and, easy, and, easy. And I just don't think that's good for the sport. I mean, no, I, no. I understand well, the need to expand it, but I, I'm just not, you know, I'm not for anything that, that takes away what we have now. Well, I, I agree. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, take your finger off the panic button because none of those things are going to happen. We're never going to go to a 10-game regular season. There's too much money that would be lost. There's too many TV contracts that would be have to be completely revised where everybody would have fewer games to broadcast. Not going to happen. Fewer, fewer home dates and revenue at the gate. Not going to happen. Um, 12 games is where we are, and it's where we're going to stay. Conference championship games are where we are, and it's where it's going to stay. Bowl games, no matter how insignificant. I always get a kick of like the – the national talk show host guy who's like, oh, I can't believe this, this stupid bowl game. Hey, buddy, don't watch. Uh, do you have something better to watch on December the 19th? Because if you do, let me know what it is. Uh, the fact of the matter is I don't even look at bowl games anymore as this great postseason reward. I just look at it as an extension of the regular season for teams that weren't good enough to get into the playoff. So none of these things are going away. Um, nor are we ever going to 16, not, not anytime soon because there's just way too many logistical nightmares. And at that point, I do think you infringe upon, uh, the importance of the regular season. The only argument I've ever heard where people are really convinced they're right about is that if we went from four to eight, and I heard this when we went from two to four, that, oh my goodness, no one's going to take value in any of these regular season games. And to that, I say, well, then you don't know much about college football Mm -hmm. because everything you just talked about, J.C., uh, the pageantry of rivalries, uh, the the tradition of going out and tailgating on a Saturday, you only get 12 of those a year. okay? and then those people that love those programs and love college football. They are not going anywhere. They're only growing by the thousands, generation by generation by generation. So the the paranoia talk that I hear from outside uh, about where we're heading, to me, it's just that it's paranoia. I'll just say this. the, the, The only issue that I see that you can try to make a strong case about is the two teams that actually make it through an 18 playoff theoretically could have played 16 games and that's where you really have to start taking a look at okay how much more can we compensate players at least the ones that participate in the playoff Uh, and i think that would definitely be revisited because all the anti-college athlete uh crowd that's already out there and says they're manipulated they're exploited it's a terrible uh, slave labor 
all that crowd, as silly and illogical as they are, they will have a louder voice to, oh, my goodness, now you're asking these young men to play a 16-game slate. Two teams out of 120-something that'll play 16, but that is a possible. Other than that, if you can get past the, the, the potential bad PR of that, there is nothing out there to convince me. We can't turnkey this uh, from four to eight, just as you mentioned, first round, the weekend after the conference championship games, uh, or there, if you wanted to back it up one more week, you possibly could. Whatever. The calendar is not going to infringe on this enough to stop it. But the first round is played on college campuses. Top four seeds are home. Bottom four seeds are away. And then everything else virtually remains the same. And the playoff games are just as significant as they are now. And the non-playoff games are just as significant or insignificant, depending on how you want to look at it, as they are right now. That, to me, is a fairly simple thing to do. And look, you can... um you can tweak the, the, the New Year's Six Bowls um, and, and the, the semifinals, and you can say, okay, uh, if you're in the eight-team playoff, okay, so one versus eight. All right, Bama wins. They go to semifinal bowl. App State pulls the upset. They go there. Loser goes to the Cotton Bowl. You know, that kind of thing. So you can set the schedules for everybody else. You know, and just come up with scenarios. I think sometimes people, I think some of these bowls sometimes overthink it um, and, and all that. So I, I think that would be an easy turnkey solution. I mean, you may have to back up the championship game until, you know, January 11th or 12th. But heck, I think it's been that date before. And, yeah. and it didn't bother me uh, at all. So, no. you know, and, and look, the, the, the thing, the reason you, that's another reason why you can't do away with conference championship games, because if it's just by standings and their automatic berths, okay, what happens when Alabama clinches the SEC? Um, you know, everybody else has two losses. Bama's got none, and they got the you know SoCon Saturday coming up, and then they've got Auburn. What's to keep the coach Nick Saban from being you know let's say two is banged up? What's to keep him from holding him out uh, so he'll be ready to roll for the playoffs? Because fundamentally, you're going to the playoffs, you know. And, and so in that kind of scenario, maybe the Auburn game doesn't matter too much. Still and, be playing for seeding, though. Still yeah. want that first-round yeah, game at home. Game. And, you, you, and you could also say that, you know, maybe we see a trend where rivalry games get played earlier in the season and maybe not that last weekend or whatever. But we'll, we'll see. I, I'm for keeping everything – I don't have a problem with eight, but I'm for keeping. Uh, I, I just don't want them to eliminate things uh, that the rest of college football loves. Yeah. You know, because yeah. there is a gap between haves and have-nots now, and, and I think one of the great things about college ball uh, is that everybody kind of cares, you know. Uh, agreed. I do think the, the gap, and gosh, uh, I feel like I've been saying this for five years uh, ad nauseum, but I'll say it again. The gap between the haves and have-nots continues to widen, and that's not by virtue of the playoff. That's not – you can't blame the playoff. For that. But this gap started widening going back to the BCS era. There are just certain programs right now that have advantages that will continue to have those advantages, and the money gets greater and greater for those particular schools. Um, we've seen the, the, the line of demarcation has never been more dramatic between power five and group five. Look at the, look at the TV money. It's ridiculously 
uh, lopsided there. And then for those same programs that we're talking about every year, we could have an 18 playoff, a 14 playoff, a BCS, a bowl Alliance, and we're still going to be living in an Alabama Clemson world with honorable mention to Ohio state, uh, you know, the, the, the same school Auburn every now and then, uh, the same schools that we've been talking Oklahoma all the time over and over and over and over again, some cataclysmic things are going to have to happen for that to change a la coaches retiring or leaving or probation or stuff like that. But uh, I don't think, I don't think a lot of that's going anywhere regardless of how many teams are in the playoff. All right. Uh, real quick, before we get into the recruiting and we're already over time here, non-playoff bowl games, Anyone that excites you? Well, you know, I'll be watching the belt pull between South Carolina and Virginia. Um, I, I think that Virginia Tech uh, and Cincinnati up there in Annapolis uh, is one that intrigues me because I, I think that, I mean, the Hokies were dead and buried, okay? Uh, four and six going into the Virginia game. Virginia rallies and leads late, and they've got the ball, and they're about to salt it away, and everybody at Lane Stadium's leaving, and it's the first time in 13 years they've lost to UVA, and blah, 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 blah. And then out of nowhere, they rally and win. And then they have Marshall in there the next week, and they kick them in the teeth and get to a bowl. Annapolis is not that far, obviously, from D.C. and Northern Virginia, which is uh, very close, uh, you know, I'm sorry, it's home. It's not very close because it's a hell of a drive. Um, it's a home to a lot of hokey alums, so they're going to go fill it up. And um, I, I think, and, and they've played Cincinnati before. They played Cincinnati at FedEx Field one time. Uh, I guess back in 2012 when Frank Beamer was the coach there, and I think uh, Butch Jones was at Cincy, and Cincinnati won late on a big throw. That's when Butch Jones was a rising star. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. I think Missouri, Oklahoma State, and the Liberty Bowl is going to be awfully fun. Um, I, I don't think A&M and NC State's going to be a good game because I think A&M is going to punt them, but it's an ACC-SEC thing. Uh, I can't imagine a more boring Outback Bowl than Mississippi State and Iowa. <laughs> um, you know, Kentucky-Penn State, this is a big one for Kentucky. I agree. Because, you know, Kentucky beats them down there. And Penn State was a team that we were talking about playoffs. Now, now I think it is, you know, you do still have Trace McSorley and all that, and he's a baller, and he's going to compete. Um, but if Kentucky can find a way to win this game, and, and, and look, in all fairness, the Wildcats started hot yet again this year, and then they weren't quite as good. Now, they did pull out some wins, uh, but, you know, did, did lose some ball games. They lost to Tennessee badly, um, and they lost uh, – uh, you know, almost lost at Missouri, and and you know they hadn't been playing as good, but you know they were rested and they'll get their defense going, and um, you know if they can slow them and win that game, they're ten and three. Um, I'm not all that excited about the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Georgia, except for the Justin Fields thing. Um, Rose Bowl going to be interesting. It's it's Urban Meyer's going away party, I guess, and um, I think it's the first time he's coached in the Rose Bowl. Um, it is. It is. So one we'll, thing left on his resume. We'll see what happens. A buddy of mine told me uh, Michigan State and Oregon in the in the Red Box Bowl, which is at Levi's Stadium, which is where the national title game is this year, was the punishment bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, Oregon, uh, you know, is sitting on a good recruiting class. They got some momentum. Uh, Purdue Auburn. If Purdue wins that game, I'm curious to see the reaction of the. Um, <laughs> 
of the uh, the uh, Auburn the faithful, bus. the Gus Bus. Now, and, and you know they've they've had some good news lately. Um, other than that, I'm not interested in watching Paul Johnson run the option against Minnesota up in Detroit. Uh, and I'm not interested in UCF against LSU either, uh, where you're going to have the little guy, you know, get really, really mad and fired up to play the big guy. Um, See, I'm kind of interested in that game. Actually. I, it, it is. It should be interesting. But to me, I'm just I, I'm done with the wambulance from. Well, I get right it. I, I get it. And, and some might say their AD has been their own worst enemy because, yeah. uh, you know, when when the when the UFAD and head coach offers you a two for one and you're UCF brother, you take it. Dude, yeah, You on. take it. You can't sit there and complain that nobody will play you. And then a program, a premier program offers to play you not once, not twice, but three, three times. times and once on your home field. And you say, no, we're worthy of more than a two for one. You need a reality check. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And look, I'm not an anti an anti UCF guy at all. I'm the one that says I would love to see them in the Big 12. I would love to see them get that opportunity. I think that would actually be a win-win for that conference and that program. Not going to happen, but I, I wanted to see it when when the Big 12 was you know, doing their own Ed McMahon star search-like rehearsal for other programs to expand, and then, of course, they never did. But when that aside, you 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 got to realize you're not on equal ground with these programs. You're just not. You've reached your high water mark, and you're trying to pretend like you're at the big boy table. Uh, you're not at the big boy table. A two for one deal is the best you're going to get. But I will say this: why I'm interested in that game is they beat Auburn last year here in Atlanta, and it was huge. Everybody knows Auburn was not real motivated for that game. That's on Auburn. That's not UCF's problem. It doesn't take away from the fact UCF won it. LSU will be motivated. I have no doubt LSU is, is working on a good season. In a lot of ways, they exceeded expectations. They had a head coach that a lot of people thought would be fired by year's end. He's there and going great and still entertaining the hell out of me at press conferences. So uh, Shoot, yeah, yeah. they'll be motivated. Uh, LSU will be motivated to play. So I, I hate the fact that McKenzie's not going to be playing in this game for UCF. Uh, but if UCF does win, there's no excuses. I mean, LSU will, should be ready to play, and UCF can can show its uh, muscle again. The Peach Bowl, speaking of Atlanta, uh, if, if Dan Mullen can squeeze out 10 wins with a Felipe Franks-led offense, uh, that's a hell of a coaching job to me. And there's no question Michigan, I think, will still be a motivated team with Jim Harbaugh in that game. You notice I keep saying the word motivated because that's half the battle when it comes to these bowl games. Uh, and then just about every game on new year's day intrigues me with the exception of the Outback bowl, as you mentioned, uh, Kentucky Penn state for the reason you mentioned LSU UCF for what we just talked about. I, I think we got a, a good, uh, the, the Rose bowl without question. Uh, we talked about how strange the urban Meyer legacy is going to wind up being. Well, this is the final chapter. Uh, can they beat Washington or, or not? <clears throat> so, and then of course, Texas, Georgia, <laughs> will Justin Fields play and then announce where he's transferring after they would, after they potentially win the game against Texas could be a huge win for Texas to prove that they're ready to finally be a true uh, Robin to Oklahoma's Batman of the big 12 conference. So we, we got to wait a while for intriguing games, but when we get there, uh, I like what we're heading to. Okay, speaking of intriguing, as promised, we're going to get into recruiting with, with the czar, 
of national recruiting, J.C. Sherbert, in just a moment. The czar of great men's clothing. You know him. You'll love him. It's Brent Skinner. BP Skinner Clothiers. BPSkinnerClothiers.com is the website. Hey, we got a few days until Christmas, but really there's no bad time to shop with these folks, and you don't have to go anywhere. He's coming to your house. He wants to provide you with a level of personalized service that has become rare today. That is why he offers to come to you for fittings and consultations. I've had him come here to my place in Atlanta, opens up all these different fabric options. Make sure that you are fit properly. It does make a difference, folks. It, it just If you're wearing an ugly sweater, which I'll be doing again on Saturday, it doesn't really matter what size it is or how it fits you because it's an ugly sweater, and it's understood you're not going to be look, looking your very best in an ugly sweater. But if you're going to try and look your very best in a suit or dress shirts, accessories, you do want to look your best. Go ahead, give them a call, set up an appointment. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com, a great Christmas present for you or a loved one, courtesy of one Brent Skinner. A lot of teams got some presents in the form of five-star recruits, JC. And here's here's me, the novice. Here's my take, and then you can you can fill in the uh, the blanks with your expertise. I saw the same teams, for the most part, dominating recruiting that we normally do. Um, I saw a couple of pleasant surprises. Oregon, uh, Florida closed late with the the big three down there in Lakeland. I saw angst in the Pac-12 because there's still a lot of programs in the Pac-12 that don't seem to be doing great in recruiting. I wonder if Chip Kelly is ever going to get the kind of talent that he needs to turn UCLA around. Um, and then I see, like I said, just kind of the, the, the same old, same old. So tell me what I'm missing. Give me some of the intricacies of this latest signing day class. Well, uh, you know, I think with regards to the rankings, Alabama has for the last several years sucked the oxygen out of the room. And, and here's a little secret. Their classes are always legit. Uh, they finished seventh last year, and I laughed because I would almost guarantee you that there's more NFL players in that seventh-ranked class than at least mm. three or four of the classes that ranked ahead of them, mm. uh, and maybe all of them at the end of the day. Um, because they evaluate well, they recruit four- and five-star guys, but they recruit the right four- and five-star guys. And a lot of times, they make a decision to offer a guy that's not a four- or five-star, and I'm not talking about a Bama bump here. I'm just saying – because they evaluate well, people take notice and they take a closer look and all that good stuff. And I, I think it, it, it's a tremendous class. Um, I love what Georgia is doing in terms of their recruiting. Um, you know, yesterday they went to Mississippi and got a, a five-star linebacker named Nakobe Dean who will knock you into the dirt. He's a classic guy, like a, a real Georgia linebacker. You know, A&M. Um, the secret there, and, and then LSU's fourth, A&M's third, LSU's fourth. The secret there uh, is sign the top guys in Texas. That's It's easy. You know, that's what you do. Sign the top guys in Texas. So Jimbo Fisher has a really good class. Um, you know, Clemson's class was going to be large this year because they undersigned the last couple. They have 27, um, two five-stars, 11 four-stars. There was some gnashing of teeth. Uh, about some offensive linemen they missed on late, and then they ended up today uh, landing Will Putnam out of Florida, uh, who's an outstanding guy from uh, the Tampa area. Uh, And so they got a good guy on the offensive line, and and that was the one need, I think, that they filled. Um, You know, 
signing days now uh, perpetuate what I've been calling for a long time, the Cold War of college football between Alabama and Georgia. Um, and, and that philosophy sort of diminished a little bit the last two years because they've actually played on the field. But it's the greatest rivalry in college football where they don't play every year because they recruit all these different guys. Uh, there's a reason Georgia fired Mark Rick and hired Kirby Smart is because of their neighbors to the West. Um, because really, with how those two programs are, are structured and where they're located, uh, Georgia is a better deal than Alabama because there's more players in the state of Georgia. Um, and so they fought some battles, and, uh, you know, Bama signed a running back that looked like he was going to Georgia, that linebacker I mentioned, uh, you know, that was supposed to go to Alabama from Mississippi. He ended up going uh, to UGA. So they kind of traded guys. All right, so let's get to the good stuff, though, because that's, you know, with the way everything is right now, the climate out there, if you will, and the hype train, I don't know that Bama and, – and, look, I'm not saying these classes are full of hype. I'm just saying that, you know, everybody knows these two schools are recruiting really, really well and a lot, a lot of good players – you know, let's look at some other, you know, situations. And you mentioned Oregon, the Ducks. Um, Mario Cristobal, who, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I think the national media, um, when Willie Taggart was hired at Oregon, uh, they were gushing, 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 gushing. And then they went to Florida State and they gushed some more. And he has a losing overall record. His team was a dumpster fire this year. And he's had more dumpster fire teams than he has good teams. Mario Cristobal gets promoted. Nobody says a word. Oh, well, here's the guy that was, you know, down in South Florida and he got fired and he was assistant at Alabama. Let's see what he could do. Mario Cristobal proceeds in his first full recruiting cycle to sign 11 top players out of California, including the number one player in California. Uh, they went into South Florida and got some guys. The number one class by a mile in the Pac-12. They hit the JUCO ranks hard. They got two guys out of Nevada, a guy out of Tennessee, and a guy out of North Carolina. Um, it's a balanced class. It's heavy on the defensive line, which they need. Uh, it is an outstanding recruiting effort that looks very similar to some of those classes USC signed over the years. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a USC-type class, you know. Um, and so I think that Oregon could be on its way back up. And I think from a talent standpoint, um, because I think Oregon was a very talented team when Chip Kelly was there, but it was a scheme team. I think from a talent standpoint – you're probably going to see more NFL players come out of Oregon if this continues than there has been in years. Um, individually, uh, I don't really I, – I, you know, talking to some of my friends that do player rankings these days, Mike, uh, it was a hard year to kind of figure out who number one was because I mentioned JT Daniel earlier. He graduated high school early and went. I think he would have been number one. Uh, easily, probably a consensus. So some guys have gone up and guys have gone down and you got some DNs up there and, and, you know, that running back Trey Sanders, I mentioned going to Alabama is fifth in the country. I don't get it. Um, I think he's good. I think he's probably not a five star to be honest, but I found a guy that I think in my opinion, uh, is the number one prospect in the country. 
Uh, and this is just on film, so I hadn't seen him live. So people people may laugh at me. Who knows? But this guy, Antonio Alfano, from Colonia, New Jersey, he's going to Alabama. Um, six foot four and a half, two eighty five. I think this guy's going to end up topping out at six five, three hundred. Moves around like he's two hundred and forty five pounds. Not an ounce of fat on him. Um, I, I he reminds me of nobody really. I mean, you can some people have compared it maybe to the Bosa's a little bit. Uh, I, I I just don't even know who he compares to because he's an absolute freak. I mean, I have to go back to like Steve Entman that played at Washington to really have a good comparison. Maybe even a little, you know, more athletic version of Reggie White. But he's going to Alabama. And of all the guys I've watched, I think he's the number one prospect in the country. Um, you know, if I had to make a call, I would make that call for him. Another thing is, and, and I said this on Tuscaloosa Radio earlier today, and I hope Bama fans don't get mad at me, um, and, and this is not an opinion that is just uh, mine, you know, I, I think Trey Sanders, the number one running back in the country, will have a great career at Alabama because most Alabama running backs do. They just kind of put him in the line and let him go run, and he's a guy that fits in their offense and all that good stuff. However, This kid, DJ Williams from Sebring, Florida, who signed with Auburn. And and this is why I said Auburn people have a reason to smile now. Because I, I, while I don't think that everybody talked about how bad the Auburn running backs were, I don't think they had that running back that was great last year. All right, so you turn on the film. This kid was committed to Appalachian State for most of the process, which shows you why they're good. And... All of a sudden blows up, and you turn on the film, and you're like, oh, my God. Bama came in and and, and recruited him. Georgia, he visited there once he decommitted from App State. Well, Auburn got him. And I don't care what his rating is or what his rating becomes. He, to me, is a better prospect than the five-star number one running back in the country, Trey Sanders, that went to Alabama. may not play out that way, but to me, he's better. So I'm not, you know – I'm not trying to throw a hot take. I haven't seen these guys in person, but just on film and looking at it, um, you know, I'm not convinced that there's not a, uh, some guys out there when you compare them player to player uh, that are better than the highly more highly ranked guys uh, as things stand right now. I mean, in Georgia's class, you know, Trayvon Walker at defensive tackle to me uh, is the best prospect that they've signed and you know they have right now Nolan Smith who's supposed to be the number one guy in the country so I you know there's just some things out there that when you look at it as far as who's better than who and who should count better uh, that I have opinions on but you know we'll see kind of how it all ends because you got the army all or what used to be the army all-american bowl it's now the all-american bowl in San Antonio uh and then the Under Armour game down in Orlando where the best will play against the best, and, and there'll be a lot of reevaluations and maybe some new number ones. But uh, certainly you can't argue that, you know, Georgia and Bama uh, had the top two classes. Um, I will caution a lot of people out there that, 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 that think that all of a sudden Georgia's up there with Bama, uh, and, and I think they're getting awfully close, and I think you can judge that by the scores of the two games. I, mean, I think they have a lot of talent. Georgia has always had a lot of talent. 
what is going to close the gap and eventually have Georgia get break through that glass ceiling? Not to not to compare Georgia to Hillary Clinton or anything. Um, is going to be is Kirby Smart a better evaluator than Mark Rick? Because the numbers and the stars and all that and the rankings are are essentially the same. Georgia signs a top ten class every year. It doesn't matter if Kermit the Frog is the coach. Um. And, and on paper, numerically, these guys have just been a teeny bit better. Um, what happened with Mark Ritt is a lot of times they would take those guys that were highly rated, but they ended up not being the best guys in Georgia. And it's hard because they're here because there's more and more players every day. Um, so I think that's what's going to end up closing the gap. And, and ultimately, Georgia will probably surpass a lot of great teams if they're making the right evaluations. So far, from what I can tell, they definitely are. Um, but you just never know. So that's my 10,000-foot uh, view of, of the first National Signing Day. I like it. I just, I just wound you up and let you go on that. I, yeah. I wasn't going to sprinkle too much in there other than um, you know, a, a couple other just overlying things. That, well, one overlying thing and then one specific thing. The same states producing – an overwhelming majority of the talent. And the bad news is for schools out West and even in the Midwest is that most of them are concentrated in SEC states. We're talking about Florida. We're talking about Georgia. We can call Texas now partially an SEC state due to A&M. And I can't imagine their recruiting is going to be anything less than stellar for quite some time now. Uh, Louisiana is always good in terms of percentage of guys for a state that size. California, obviously, is the other one, but the Pac-12 has a lot of work to do, um, a lot of work to do, and it all starts in recruiting, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Pac-12 gets great quarterbacks. You know, there are a lot of guys that are on NFL rosters that have come from Pac-12 schools that are quarterbacks, but they got to start picking it up a little bit on the defensive side. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would say specific to the SEC, number one, I mean, not much has changed. You can finish 11th in the SEC rankings and still have a top 25 class. That kind of just speaks to where that conference is. But how about the job Chad Morris and Arkansas did? When is the last time you saw a team go 2-10 and 10 and then rake in a top 20 class? I mean, that's almost unheard of. I mean, and it's a 27-person class right now, and um, I think part of the reason they got him um, is because he can go into the state of Texas, and you you look at their breakdown, you got six from Texas and five from Arkansas and three from Louisiana and three from Oklahoma. That four-state area, um, there's an abundance of guys in Texas. Uh, The top part of Arkansas is always good, Louisiana, as you mentioned, and then Oklahoma uh, is kind of like – a place where you can sometimes go in there and, and sneak and get a guy. Uh, the Jacobs, the running back for Alabama's from Oklahoma, and the, I don't know that the in-state schools really got after him. So it's a it's kind of a place to go find sleepers. But uh, I, you know, uh, looking at it, I, I do think it's a good class. You know, you've got essentially one, and that's uh, uh, Trey Knox from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that signed. Uh, top 250 player. He's number 221 in the country. But then you look at the guys that haven't quite signed yet, and, and in the state, Hudson Henry, who's I think Hunter Henry's brother. He is, yeah. Big-time tight end that they're going to do a lot of great things with. 
And then this kid from Warren, Arkansas, who's a monster receiver at 6'3", 225, uh, Traylon Burks. Um, they got a four-star player, Devin Bush, out of New Orleans, which I think is good. This Dante Walker kid, um, if he can make grades, which um, I heard he was kind of uh, iffy on it from, from Cedar Grove in Ellawood, Georgia, right here in Atlanta, Mike, he's the quintessential Arkansas out-of-state D-line recruit. He's 6'3", 240, kind of a little undersized, kind of under the radar, tremendously quick first step, and an elite pass rusher. They get him in. He's playing at 6'3", 265, coming off the edge. I'm telling you, buddy, on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, we're <laughs> going to be sitting here talking about Dante Walker. It's just grades there. So I yeah. I like this class. I, I do think because there's 27 guys attached to it right now, uh, it, it's probably just based on the formula uh, a little – I mean, it's probably higher right now than it will finish, but but I think it, it is uh, a great class. I mean, Arkansas and Ole Miss combined have 55 guys committed, um, you know, in terms of the team rankings and and, and all that. And, you know, and I, I I think too, let's look again. Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. It's about where they always finish in, in the <laughs> recruiting rankings, uh, and, and all those teams are pretty good. Within the scope of the SEC East, I mean, you know, Missouri lost to number one, number two, and on the last play of the game to Kentucky and South Carolina, and that's it. They were eight and four. Well, look look at what Kentucky just did with a bunch of guys that were not that highly recruited. You know, the Benny Snells of the world, just under the radar guys. Uh, If they ever find a a, a true passing quarterback, uh, they could be dangerous over there. I mean, Kentucky is going to be. Kentucky could very well become. The Michigan State of the SEC. Michigan State I like that. never ranks high, but, you know, they go and get these Ohio kids and kids out of the Midwest where there's good mm-hmm. football and nobody talks about it, and they develop them. You know, that could be Kentucky. Now, if Michigan State were in the SEC, would would they be, have been averaging nine or ten wins a year? No, probably not. But uh, I do think that there's that type of program building going on in Lexington. Maybe, uh, maybe another analogy. Maybe I know they had a kind of an off year this year, but maybe a Gary Patterson at TCU, another guy who uh, it was rarely top fifteen, top twenty in recruiting rankings, but somehow they always seem to win. Right? They always oh, yeah. seem to get the most out of their guys. We'll leave a little bit of meat on the bone from a recruiting standpoint because there's surely going to be some more news between now and the next time we join everybody and of course by then we'll have semi-final games to talk about uh as as the kids like to say stuff's going to get real here pretty soon uh with the, the the postseason in college football jc for those that haven't had a chance the cast of thousands that download and listen to us every week for those that have not done it yet or maybe you're listening and you're not quite sure how this whole podcast thing works why don't you eloquently describe to them how it does work? Sure. Just uh, you can subscribe. This is the best way to, to listen to it uh, using Google Play if you're an Android user uh, or uh, if you're on iPhone, uh, roll on over to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and hit the subscribe button. It's free. We're not charging for subscriptions. Uh, but when you do that, it'll send you a little text alert every time we upload a new episode. So it'll be sure to listen to JC and Morgan. And, and I want to thank personally everyone and wish them all happy holidays uh, that, that have kind of joined the fun here because our numbers, as far as listeners go, have, have grown pretty well uh, here in the yeah. past two or three weeks and over the past two years. So, so thank you, the hardcore college football fan, for listening. 
That, that's a that's a great way to end it and a, and a great point to make. That that's kind of our stocking stuffer. The fact that you folks uh, in a world full of a lot of podcasts out there have chosen to download and, and give us a little more than an hour of your time each and every week. Uh, that brings a smile to our faces, and hopefully we're bringing a smile to uh, yours as well, keeping your mind off stuff like work and crying kids and everything else and just uh, having some time to digest a little college football talk with yours truly. And that's a good way to end it. Folks, have a very Merry Christmas. We can't wait to talk to you right as the calendar turns into 2019. For J.C. Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan saying so long for now on the J.C. and Morgan podcast.